continue our series in Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at several scriptures. It's amazing how many scriptures in Proverbs speak about labor and work, and uh, we want to look at work tonight. What is a Christian view of work, and how can we apply that, uh, in fact, to our lives? So this is very, very uh, significant to us. Uh, and so we'll start out in Proverbs chapter 6 in just a moment in verse 6. But uh, before that, uh, let, let, me just, uh, let me just speak to this as a, sort of a national situation that we have going on here. We have approximately 100 million Americans who are working full-time. And 51% of those Americans working full-time say without reservation that they're really not engaged in their work. And what they mean by that is that they're not really uh, feeling beneficial. It, it, it's not beneficial to them. It's a place to go. Uh, it's where you make a living and whatever. But as far as really enjoying the work, they just say uh, it's not really. They're doing the bare minimum at work, uh, you know, for various reasons. Sometimes they say, well, it's because of the manager I work for or it's just not a job that I'd really like to be doing or I'd like to be doing something else for myself or whatever. There are, many, there are many reasons for that. But if you think about half the workforce, half the people uh, that are making your food at a restaurant, half the people that are uh, uh, doing you know, accounting in the, in the accounting office, half the people that are doing marketing, half the people that are coaching uh, and teaching your children, half the people who work full-time basically say, I'm doing the bare minimum. I'm just going to do whatever it takes to keep this job. 16% of the workforce of 100 million people, it's probably a lot larger than that now, we, but 16% of the workforce basically say they're actively disengaged. They come to work, uh, they're resentful of having to work, they're resentful of what they're doing, uh, they complain, they, they, they sort of have a toxic attitude, and if they can make it you know, bad for everybody else, and they kind of go around and spread that. They're, they're sort of a evangelist for, I don't want to work here. This is not a good place and whatever else. So I think that's something that we uh, look at. And the, and the Bible, though, teaches a dim view of that. The Bible really does challenge us uh, at that point. Uh, not all work is profitable. Not all work is fun. Not all work happens to be fulfilling, but the Bible takes a very, very dim view of somebody that refuses to work. And, and it takes a dim view also of somebody that has a bad attitude when they are working. And so we want to explore that and be challenged by the Word of God uh, tonight. And so I, I want you to see this dim view uh, in the beginning. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, uh, the writer of Proverbs uh, uses the illustration of the ant, and he says, I, I want you to see uh, how an ant works and, and compare it to yourself. And he calls this person lazy or a sluggard. So in verse 6, he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond. Like a vagabond would be an unwelcome guest. You, you, you do this. You, you don't prepare. You don't work. Uh, you're not engaged actively. And uh, you're going you're gonna to experience the, uh, the ravages of what that really and truly means. Now, if you will, just turn the page over to Proverbs chapter 10 for just a moment. In Proverbs chapter 10, in verses 4 and 5, he talks about the person who doesn't work well. 
who doesn't put uh, his or her life into what work is. It says, poor is he who works with a negligent hand. That is, you, you know, you're not taking care of stuff. He said, he said, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who acts shamefully. In other words, doing nothing at the proper time is a shame. But he also talks about doing work just to exist, just to, you know, I'm doing this because I need the money or I have to have a job or whatever else. I'm not really doing everything I want to do. What we find in Scripture is something I think unique to the believer. First of all, we realize that work is something that God himself is always doing. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, My father is working till right, up until right now, and I am working also. The father's doing things. He's active, and we're going to see what that means in just a moment. But he says, I've joined. I'm like my father. I've done that. In creation, God created, and then he, he developed his creation. He, he created the heavens and the earth, and then he started putting things on and in the heavens and the earth. He began to do something out of his imagination to make this world a fitting place. And then he created Adam and Eve to share in that and to do that in his image. And so what we find out is the way we work is really a reflection of our relationship with the Lord. So as the Lord works, if you will, as the Lord creates, if you will, as the Lord makes things better, our relationship with the Lord is, is, a, is, a, is a testimony to the way we ourselves work. Now, now, once again, not all work is pleasant. Not all work is something you wake up in the morning and say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I want to do this, and this is going to be fun, or this is going to be great, or whatever else. Sometimes work is even oppressive. Sometimes work is, is very, very difficult. But, any, but, but in any event, it's a reflection of our relationship with the Lord who's always at work. The work of creation was probably wonderful. The work of redemption was hard and probably not so willing. You understand what I mean? Even God's work has not always been pleasant. To see his son die on the cross wouldn't be a pleasant experience no matter what love he had for you and me. So for us to say, I'm not going to work, or, or I don't like this work, and I'm going to work just to do the bare minimum, or I'm going to work just to be aggressively anti-work in this place is not a reflection of what God does because not all work is wonderful. Not all work is just fulfilling in every circumstance. And work is also a reflection of God as nature. It's not only our relationship with him, but it reflects his nature. If you'll remember the creation story, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Then he created the things in the heavens and the earth, the fish of the sea and the plants and whatever else, seeds and reproductive uh, uh, fruit trees and whatever. And then he created uh, a man to do that. Uh, I mean, man to inhabit that. And he said, I want you to rule over this. I want you to have my authority over creation. And what he was saying there is not just go live and, you know, walk around and whatever else. He's saying, look, this is not finished yet. This is yours to, be, uh, to, to, to work in. This is yours to tend. This is yours to make better. This is yours to bring out its beauty. He's not saying it's all finished. It's very good, but I'm letting you make it better. You go and rule over all of this. You go and tend that garden. You go and do your work and use your imagination and use your skill and use your opportunity to be a reflection of me in you. Let it be glory to me in what you do on behalf of me. I've allowed you to share in what I have, in fact, created. So his character includes a number of things. It includes imagination. 
And there's nothing more beneficial than when we work and use our imagination. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're teaching your child to, to do chores around the house and, 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 and pick up their clothing or, you know, help uh, with the dishes or whatever else. It doesn't matter what's going on there. Allow them to use their imagination in doing that. There's more than one way, you know, to do anything. And so what God is saying to them, I have imagined this for you to reflect my presence and my person and, and my glory and use your imagination to go and make this garden something that it is not right now. It's also, uh, uh, it's also something about productivity. Produce something. God didn't place Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to just consume, to just, just work so they can consume. Go over here so you can eat the fruit or go over here so you can enjoy the fish. No, no. Be productive in this. Be fruitful and multiply is more, is more than just having children. Of course, that's what it meant. But he says, I want you to be productive in this, productive in that it's going to bless somebody. You see, every time you and I do work, if it's legitimate work, it brings benefit to somebody else. That's what work is. It's some activity that you do that ultimately brings benefit to somebody else. You make a living. You, you provide for your family. Uh, you be able, you're able to bless other people. Everything we do, if you think about it, downstream has an effect on somebody else. So if I just uh, go to work, I don't like what I'm doing, I do the minimum of anything that I do, then that blessing, is going, that blessing is going to be negated and cut short to the people downstream. I remember when uh, I, I, I first went to work in Appomattox. Uh, you know, this is, this is a true story. L listen, I'm the wrong one to preach on this. I, I'm totally obsessed with work because it's just ingrained in my family. My father told me from the time I was this big, just get your lunchbox and go to work. And I've got that on my wall in my study because it's just a saying in our family. But, but, but I remember when I first went to a little uh, drive-in restaurant, kind of a sonic kind of thing where you flipped hamburgers and fried chicken and whatever else, I, 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 the man who ran that was obsessed with the way we did things. And, and I, I didn't get it at first. I mean, he, you, you had to do everything just in a certain way because it wasn't for us. We weren't going to eat the food, but it was for the person who was buying the food. That's, and finally it dawned on me one day, I'm doing this, not for me. I get paid to do this. Really, I didn't say it like this. I was 15, 16 years old. To really bless somebody else. This food that I take care to prepare, even if it's just a hamburger or a hot dog or a chicken or whatever, pizza, whatever, all the stuff we were fixing, is really for the benefits of somebody else. This man was a Christian and he got it. And he instilled in us that everything you do has a downstream effect for somebody and it makes it good for somebody. If you cheat here in this kitchen, they're not going to get their money's worth, but they're not going to enjoy what we've provided for them. Oh, wow, that's right. So everything you and I do. Now, now, work is not just nine to five. Work is anything you do, any activity you do that eventually benefits somebody else, including yourself. So, so you don't have to be at work to be working. You don't have to have a job to have a job. And so what God is saying here is out of my character, I've done this for your benefit. I, I don't need it. God didn't need the earth. He didn't need the heavens. He, he didn't need creation. He did it for us. His work was on our benefit. Redemption, the work of Christ, is for our benefit. Jesus didn't need saving. He did it for us. Once you get that in your in our once we get that in our heads, then all of a sudden life becomes different and it becomes a lot better. And everything, even those difficult situations at work, 
Even those difficult situations at work begin to have a meaning that beforehand uh, they it just simply didn't have. A productivity, provision, providing for people, providing jobs for people, taking the risk to do things right, and improvements. The one thing about human nature, if, if people have any sense at all, they'll take anything that's messed up and try to make it better. They'll take anything that's dirty and try to clean it. Anything that's, that's kind of uh, out of kilter, they'll organize stuff. Uh, they'll take an organization at work and say, how can we do this better? If, if, the, if the goal of that is only to make money so we can run off and retire early, you're probably not going to get very far. But if you're doing that for the benefit of people who use your goods and services and enjoy a better life because of it, all of a sudden life gets really different. When I was at Lifeway, we had a marketing group that came in from uh, Connecticut. And uh, they, they were unusual people, and they, they didn't kind of know much about us. And, and you know, when you work at a, at a religious nonprofit, people, a lot of things don't work in consulting. It just, you know, it's just a different deal. And so when they figured out it wasn't just about the profit, but we really were trying to serve our customer. I remember in a meeting, there was this uh, a, a young lady who was there who was just brilliant. She was really, really sharp and just was just opening up the world to us in terms of the marketing we wanted to do for something. But we were talking, she, she, we were talking about our customers. Well, we are talking about church people. We are talking about pastors. We were talking about you. We were talking about people in the pew. We were talking about folks that went to camp and whatever else. She started crying. And she said, I, I don't know the end of this project, but I've never, I've never been around people who were just so obsessed with the people they were providing products and services to. And we, we, we liked that. You know, we were happy that she recognized it. Well, she was literally crying, wasn't a believer, literally crying. And, and uh, that afternoon as I was driving home, I thought two things. Number one, it's a shame to work in a place that doesn't believe that. I mean, if, if I made cars, I'd want people to be safe and happy in and, and their cars and whatever else without just sticking it to them, you know. I wouldn't want to make something unsafe. If, if I cooked food, if, if I had a hotel, and I thought, wow, we're really messed up here. If we're only working so that we can accumulate something for ourselves, you know, and we don't really care about anyone else. And then I thought, what, what a grand thing that is to focus on somebody else and say, how can we make their life better? by my activity that I'm doing. So it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter if you're in medicine or if you're in education or if you're a business owner or you work in a corporation or whatever. To begin to see things downstream as blessing is a wonderful thing and improve things constantly. That's the nature of God's work. He created the world and it says the earth, uh, the, the earth was what? Formless. It was void. It wasn't anything to it. And he begins to shape it and make it better. That's what work does. And then finally, we begin to realize we have a responsibility to do that before God. He gives us skills not to be used for ourselves. It will bring benefit to us, but it will also and primarily benefit somebody else. <laughs> I love what uh, Zig Ziglar used to say. He said, if you give somebody everything they want, then they'll give you everything you want eventually. He had it. He had it down. He understood what that meant. Serve that person. Bless that person. Work hard for their benefit, and you too will be benefited. And that's certainly in Scripture. It's, it's, it's doing everything. It's actually producing benefits to people who are downstream. And so all of a sudden, work begins to have a, a spiritual quality to it. it. It literally has a physical quality to it. It has many things to it. It has a mental quality to it. The scripture says this time and time again. 
So the working uh, things that we do, I, I, I've, uh, I ran across some uh, uh, things that I want to read in Proverbs chapter 12 here for just a minute. I think I've got this right. Yeah, Proverbs 12 and verse 24. Listen to this. This is something, this is a real warning to us. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand, the lazy guy, will be put to forced labor. Now, I want you to think about what that's saying. This is a, this is a stern warning from Scripture. If you don't give your best, the writer is saying here, God, the Holy Spirit, writes through this writer and says, if you don't give your best in what God sets before you, no matter the conditions, if you don't give your best, then one day you're going to be working at something that you absolutely loathe, and that's going to be your reward for that. You're going to end up in a place where you really loathe what you're doing. That would just be... Uh, that would just sort of be idealism if I didn't have that in my family. If I didn't have people that I knew that are just like that. They ended up with all the brains in the world and all the opportunity in the world and squandering that away, doing the minimum or resenting what they were doing, resenting the people they work for, and now they're working at something they can't get out of. This is what the Scripture says, and we need to take heed to its warning. I think the, the, the whole Protestant Reformation you know, Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and people like that, and the Anabaptists, of w which we are a part of, came to understand that, that work was something ordained by God. It was a gift of God, and, and it showed our faith in him and our love for him. It, it, it was in their minds like worship. Oh, worship. Are you kidding me? I have to go to work tomorrow. I like what Rick Warren said in The Purpose Driven Life. Can I, can I read this quote to you tonight? Work he says, becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. Boy, that just frees me up to say the worst thing that I have to do, whether it's, you know, uh, cleaning the floor, changing the diaper, or going to a place that's just kind of messed up right now, when I take myself apart from that and first say, Lord, I'm in your presence today and everything I do is salt and light. Everything I do, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the task is, no matter how hard the taskmaster is, the boss is or whatever else, no matter how oppressive this is, my attitude is that I'm in your presence and I'm not going to say anything or do anything but my best. I'm absolutely going to give you my best. What's the right attitude? I love what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Maybe you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes for just a moment. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, uh, this writer, Solomon, talks about this often. He really talks about work, and it's a theme that goes through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. He's taught many times, he says this. He said, look, a lot of stuff in this life is vain. In the first two or three chapters of Ecclesiastes, he said, I've tried it all. I could do anything I wanted to do. He said, I've worked, I've had philosophy, I've studied and, you know, did all that. I've had riches, I had pleasure, I did anything, nothing was, I, I availed myself to whatever my heart wanted to do and I've decided it's vanity. And over and over again, he says this, beginning verse 7, he says, go then eat your bread and happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart. God's already appointed your works. It sounds a little bit like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we are saved by God's grace 
And we're appointed to these works that God has for us. We think that's spiritual witnessing or whatever else. Not, not that at all. It's the work of our lives that give glory to God. He said, let your clothes be white all the time. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Be clean. Clean yourself up and, and show yourself to be positive. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which you've given you under the sun. This is your reward in life and in in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, truly, do it with all your might, for there's no activity or planning in, or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. He said, you, you don't have but so long on this earth, and where you're going, there's not going to be any work. Think about it. Uh, God didn't, doesn't need us to go to work in heaven. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, Father, I need 50 more laborers here to build. He's not doing that. We, we don't have to do that in heaven. We'll do it in the new earth, which will be our heaven. But right now, he doesn't need anybody in heaven to go do work. The work is right here. And he's saying, work, this guy is saying, with all your might, put everything you can into it. Let that be your attitude. Let that be your life. Don't cheat yourself and cheat other people. And don't cheat people by having a negative witness to your relationship with the Lord. If you love the Lord, then do it with all your might, is what he's saying. And, of course, Paul writes the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, and he writes the same thing in Colossians. He said, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, not as a man pleaser, not to please somebody else, but as unto the Lord. Be humble under authority. Not, not everybody you work for is good. Not everybody you work for has your best interest in them. But that shouldn't condition your attitude and response to them. Our attitude ought to be as servants to say, I'm going to do my best, even in this crazy situation, even though I'm receiving no benefits from it because God is going to use this, and that's the right attitude to have. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I quoted that a moment, but I'd like to read it. There's a reward for working like this, and I think that's what we want to find is that reward. Now, if I can find the book of Hebrews here, all right. In Hebrews chapter 6, this great, wonderful epistle that we have, notice what it says in verses uh, 7 and 8. Well, let me, let me back up to the slaves thing in verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Can you, can you imagine any worse situation than that? I can't. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Watch this. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. There's a reward in working that way. There's a reward in the right attitude. There's a reward in giving your best, even in the most menial task. There's a reward for all of that. Not only do you bless people, but God rewards people who do that? Many years ago, we were uh, in another city pastoring, and a, a, a man lost his job. It happens all the time. He was crushed. He was devastated. He loved working for this company. He was a salesman. He sold paper by the, you know, the train car loads. And he loved, he just loved his job. He was absolutely crushed. And I remember he came. He was just starting to attend our church with his wife and son. And uh, he was so afraid he wouldn't be able to provide for them and all of this. And we prayed and whatever. And uh, I, I kind of forgot about him the next week. I, I, didn't, I didn't really think about him. I, I, maybe I should have, but I just didn't. But I was, going to, I was going out of town one day, and I drove by the Ford dealership, and here's this guy that had a, 
at that time, a six-figure salary, which, you know, this is 30, 25, 30 years ago. As a salesman, he was just killing it. Here's this guy out. Uh, he's in rubber boots up to here. Uh, he's, he's got an old raggedy shirt on, and he's washing the cars at the Ford place. And I thought, I, I just stopped. It just, I just stopped the car, and I looked at that for a moment, and I thought, what in the world? Here's this guy that says, my job is to go to work. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get whatever job it takes to provide for my family. He's gone from 100000 plus a year to minimum wage, which was probably 3 or $4 at that time. And he's out there washing used cars for the Ford dealership. His friend, who was the general manager of the, of the Ford place there, had given him that job. And I asked the, the, the friend that later, I said, what's going on with him? He said, man, I don't know. He said, he came in. He said, he said uh, is, there, is there anything I can do here? I'll do anything. And he said, I said, well, no, I, not, man, you, he said, I'll do anything. And he said, you know, the only job we have open right now is for somebody to wash the cars out here. He said, I'll take it. It wasn't long after that that another company in the Northwest hired him, and he was making more money than he lost before. He was rewarded, you see, for what he was doing under God. He said, this is what I must do. You know, a person that won't work and doesn't have the right attitude is not going to be rewarded. There's a right way to work. You put your hand to the plow and you keep plowing. You, you do what it takes to work. You, you, you do it. You don't wait for the right time and place. You go to work and, and you let God bless it, whatever it is. There's another thing. I've always uh, said this to myself when I maybe didn't have a job or was looking for a job. I always felt like in my friend's case who was washing the cars that God always hits a moving target. If you're out there working, God's going to bless you. If you're out there trying, God's going to bless you. Your heart is faint. You know, you, you don't feel like you're doing any good. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe somebody fired you. Maybe, maybe, maybe the company was, uh, you know, disbanded or something. I don't know. And you just feel like, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe you bid on a job and you didn't get it or whatever. And you're thinking, how am I going to feed my family? Listen, go to work. Just go do something. And if, if you can't do something for yourself, go do something for someone else. Because God rewards that attitude and that effort. He rewards that. And, and on the heels of that struggle, if you will, and that strain, as we trust the Lord, he opens up opportunities for us so that it's better when we receive those opportunities and the rewards for our labor and doing it the right way than it was before. Go to work. When I was 15 years old. My had a little party at my house. They cut the cake. My daddy said, boy, it's great. Congratulations, 15. I go get a job. And I thought, well, that's nice. Uh, happy birthday to me. But he, he was doing something for me. I, I didn't realize it at the time. He was doing something for me. You know, working at that little hamburger stand. And then after I, I, in, in the summers, in the daytime, I'd work on a farm. And then I'd go to work till, you know, from 4 to 12 at night at the little hamburger stand. Worked at 2 in the morning on Fridays and Saturday nights. And God began to open up blessings and opportunities. I didn't understand what my daddy understood. I, I didn't understand that, that this was a way for God to bless. It just, it sounded a little bit cruel, to be honest with you, as a 15-year-old. It sounded a little bit harsh. All my friends were, you know, riding around and doing whatever 
And, you know, they would come by, and they, they wouldn't exactly make fun of me, but they was like, yeah, you're working, we're having fun, and, and whatever else. And, and I, I didn't exactly resent it. I just didn't quite understand it. But the longer I lived, the more I understood it. At every turn, there was a blessing. At every turn, there was an opportunity. At every turn, there was somebody calling and, and blessing and re relationships that I wouldn't have had, uh, places that I, I would have never gone because a father understood the value and the significance of work. Now, once again, work doesn't have to be a job. It could be what you're doing at your house or cutting your grass or whatever else. He, he's just saying when you do this with the right attitude, there comes from God blessing upon blessing upon blessing. All right, what's some applications? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes says you don't ever want to make profit your aim. Profits will come, but if profit is your aim, he said, you know, the hardworking man goes to sleep at night, he sleeps well. The rich man stays up worrying about his, his stuff. So if profit is your aim, you'll get it, but it'll become your God. Idols control our lives. Idols bring fear to us. Idols, uh, you know, we want to we want to conserve everything you have. So we don't want to make work our God. We don't want to make profit our God. We don't want to be lazy either. On the other end, if you're lazy, God's not for you. And remember, He said, if you don't work with all your heart, then the reward of that is be forced labor. It'll be labor like a slave. It'll be labor that doesn't have any productivity to it, any blessings to it at all. Somebody will dictate what you're going to do and what you're going to have. God, he says, does not like the lazy or overly dependent person. God blesses work with rewards and opportunities. And look for that. And so when you're having a bad day tomorrow and you don't like what you're doing, do it as unto the Lord and begin to look for the blessings and the opportunities. Do it as unto the Lord and remember the blessings that you're giving somebody else, even if it doesn't benefit you. Do everything as a reflection of your relationship with God. Treat people well. You know, if this one thing my dad said, and, you know, I guess it's not in the Bible, but I believe it. He said, if, if, if you're perpetually late to work, if you don't give your best to work, then you're stealing. He always told me that. He said, you're stealing. You're stealing time. You're stealing money. You're not doing your best. It's going to cost somebody something to overcome that. He said, you work, and you work as a, a good worker. That was his, his uh words. He said, if you don't, you're stealing. Wow. Man, that was amazing. Recognize authority. Not everybody in authority knows what they're doing. Not every boss is good, but God sets up authority in our lives to bring order in our lives. And don't let somebody that you work for or a company that you're in be so oppressive that you can't give your best. If you can't tolerate it, go somewhere else. Take the risk and leave. But as long as you're there, do your best as unto the Lord as a witness, as a day of worship, instead of just going to work and slugging through it. Work is its own reward. Being able to work and doing work. Well, you say, well, I can't work like I used to. Then pray. Study the Bible. Teach the Bible. Encourage people. Get on the phone. That's your work. Do something that blesses somebody else. You don't have to do that. Calling somebody, if, if you're incapacitated, calling somebody, it doesn't bless you. You're not going to get much out of that except the return of that. But when you, you call somebody, when you bless somebody with that, you're doing work and it's honoring God and actually honoring that person. It's an accomplishment. So when you accomplish things, when you work to accomplish things, 
You bless yourself and you bless somebody else. You know what? It takes a little bit of trust, doesn't it, to do work like this. I, I just made some notes. Why do we work? Well, we make a living. We provide for our family. We bless others. We increase our security. Unless you win the lottery or have some rich uncle you don't know about, you're probably not going to quit work at 30 years old and just do whatever. You, you, you work as unto the Lord with a willingness and readiness. But here's what the Bible says. It's a curse not to work. It says you'll come to hunger. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, he said, if a guy in this church, in your church, won't work, then don't feed him. That's a curse. You bring a curse on everybody when you don't work. You, you'll end up in forced labor. I read that out of Proverbs 12. You'll end up in ruin. The Proverbs say that you'll end up in ruin. Your life will be in ruin. Listen, I've got, I've got people in my life just like this. They just doodled around all of their lives waiting for somebody else to do something for them. And they end up in poverty and illness and all this kind of stuff. And then it says in Proverbs 18.9, is self-destruction. You'll destroy yourself eventually if you don't work, if you don't labor and you don't do those things that God wants us to do. Well, you know, tomorrow we all have a chance. We can resolve tonight to ask the Lord to help us reflect his glory in our work, to bless others by what we do, to not be off-put, if you will, or, or affected by somebody who's not very good or people that work around us, not to do the minimum, but to do our best, not to go down a path of destruction and poverty, but go down the path of blessing and opportunity and security. Go, go down the, the way that God will say, that's what I'm after. And tomorrow there'll be a challenge. There'll be something that you and I don't want to do, something that you and I don't enjoy, something that you and I don't get rewarded for, something that you and I uh, won't get acknowledged about. But if we do it to the Lord, we take this worship service and bring this worship service and the mission of this church and the mission of the kingdom of God right to that workplace and as salt and light reflect the glory of God to say, I'm doing this not because it's great here. I'm doing this because I have a great God. I'm doing this as a witness to the greatness of God. And no matter what it takes, I'll get through this as I await his blessing and the opportunity that he gives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we often see work as something bad and we often see work as something just to get by. Forgive us for that. We confess that tonight and we ask for your forgiveness. And we just pray that as we go to work, whether we're homemakers or whether we're in charge of organizations or, or, or Father, whether we're doing whatever, whether we're teaching or uh, doing medicine or what, whatever we're doing, raising our children, I pray, Father, that we do it as unto you first. Do it in your presence, aware of your presence, so that our work day becomes a worship day, that we do our best for your glory, and you reward us for that glory that we give you and that blessing we offer to you and others, whether we receive anything for it or not. May we do our best for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, this great hymn we sing now as we leave is Christ is enough. If Christ is enough, he's enough because he did enough. He didn't slack his work. He did what the Father asked him to do for his glory. And what he had to do wasn't pleasant, but he did it for us, for the glory of God. And aren't we thankful that he did? 
So we can do no less than our best to work as unto the Lord for who we are and what we do. Let's bless somebody by our work next week. Let's stand together. We'll sing this song before we leave. This is our benediction.